You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open our Bibles together this afternoon. Our Old Testament reading is taken from the book of Exodus, chapter 16, the verses 1 to 18. Our New Testament reading from Matthew 14, 13 to 21. These readings have been selected in view of our text this afternoon, which has to do with the fourth petition of the prayer that the Lord Jesus Christ has taught us. We begin then with Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. And Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. 
As far as the Old Testament reading, then we turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. Our scripture passage is just after, as you can see, the beheading of John the Baptist and the news of it reaching the Lord Jesus. And it begins, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about five thousand men, besides women and children. I preach to you this afternoon from the word of our God as the church confesses and summarizes this in Lord's Day 50 of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is the fourth petition? Give us this day our daily bread. That is, provide us with all our bodily needs so that we may acknowledge that thou art the only fountain of all good and that our care and labor and also thy gifts cannot do us any good without thy blessing. Grant therefore that we may withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it only in thee. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, sometimes the Order in which we do things doesn't really matter. When you get up in the morning, it doesn't matter whether you put on first your socks or your pants or your shirt. And I suppose that it is the same when the ladies do their hair, whether they start from the right side or the left side, the top or the bottom. As far as I know, it probably doesn't make a lot of difference. Same applies when you wash your car. You can start at the top, you can start at the bottom, you can start at the right side or the left side. It matters not at all. And so it is with many things in this life. The precise order matters very little or nothing. But then there are other things where it does matter. You go to Ikea, if you happen to like the place, and you order a bed or a desk. And you know, when you do that at Ikea, it always comes in a box. And you got to take the box home. You take it into the house. you got to open it up. And there are instructions. Instructions to assemble it. And then one piece of advice is very important. Follow the instructions and do it in the order that is specified. If you don't, it's a recipe for disaster. 
you'll soon be pulling out your hair. You see, when it comes to assembling stuff, you need to get the order right. And that applies to more things in life. You need to get the order right. And in a manner of speaking, you can say the same applies to prayer. You need to get the order right. Isn't that what our Lord Jesus Christ is teaching us in this short but magnificent prayer? As you analyze the Lord's Prayer, you cannot fail to see that the order is first God and then man. And breaking it down even further, you cannot fail to see that the order is first God, God's name or person, God's kingdom or program, then God's will or intentions. And thereafter we go on to man. Man's need for bread, man's need for forgiveness, man's need for deliverance. So you see there is structure here. There is general structure, first God, then man. And there is also a more detailed structure and order in the sequence name, kingdom, will, as well as in the sequence bread, forgiveness, and deliverance. In short then, beloved, it matters how we pray. We need to remember this order. At the very least, we need to remember the general order or structure of God first and man second. And of course, in structuring his prayer in this way, the Lord Jesus is not saying that there is not any room at all for spontaneous prayer or unstructured prayer. After all, he knows us. He knows that there are A lot of things in life that we don't always get right. And that prayer is often among them. And he knows too that sometimes we are so full of burdens and cares that we cannot, we just cannot wait. And he knows too that sometimes our feelings and our needs are so pressing that we forget all about order and all about structure. And that's okay. That's all right. But nevertheless, if we are speaking about the overall thrust of our prayers or about what our prayers should normally look like, then it's God first and us second. First, we bypass ourselves and we look up and we concentrate on God. And thereafter, we look at ourselves, and we take up ourselves and our needs to God. And when we do the latter, what is then our first need? Let's go to the Lord's Prayer and consider the fourth petition, Father, give us bread today. We ask this of our God because He is the source of all provision the fount of all blessing, and the object of all trust. So the fourth petition, Father, give us bread today, the source of all provision, the fount of all blessing, and the object of all trust. Well, beloved, the first thing that stands out in this fourth petition is surely the word bread. Bread. 
And that is what is known, or this is what is known as the bread petition. And why bread? Well, because it happened to be the main food staple in our Lord Jesus' day. And you can say it's still the main food stuff in much of the world today. And in saying that, I do not think that our Lord would want us to become too dogmatic or too insistent on the literal meaning here. In Asia, one may contextualize it and say, give us this day our daily rice. In Western Europe, one may change it and recite, give us this day our daily potato. And in Indonesia, people may say, give us this day our daily sagu. The point is that bread is a general term. It's a general term that stands for or represents what you might call the physical or the material side of our life. Why, one can even paraphrase this petition to read, give us this day our daily necessities. And in a way, if you think of it, all of this is kind of surprising. And indeed, it's surprising for two reasons. The first has to do with the fact that our Lord and Savior is even concerned at all about our physical or material side of living. You may know that throughout the history of the Christian church, there have been more than a few people who have insisted that God is not really interested at all in the physical or the material side of our lives. What God wants is your soul, your soul, your soul. His preoccupation is with your inner self. Why, there is even a sense in which all of this is making a comeback today. It's not at all unusual to hear people speaking a lot these days about attaining a new level of spirituality. Spirituality at a deeper level. And there's also a revival in things like meditation, incantation, visualization, and a host of other techniques that target the inner person. And now this is not to say that all of this is wrong. The problem is usually one of balance. Either we err too far on the material side or we err too far on the spiritual side. And in the past, as well as with some in the present, the scale, I might add, has gone too far to the spiritual side. And the soul and the spirit, that's what matters. What lives in my heart. But notice, beloved, that the Lord Jesus Christ insists that the body matters as well. The physical side of this life is not to be overlooked. And indeed, that brings us to the second surprise. It is not just the fact that our Savior includes the physical or the material aspects of life, but rather it's the fact that when it comes to the our petitions, the manward petitions, he puts the physical first. Notice it begins, it opens, this second part, it starts 
and it launches the second half of his prayer. Now I think if any of us were designing the perfect prayer, we would not have done this. Perhaps we would have included the matter of bread somewhere in the our petitions, but I don't think we would have dared to put it first and foremost. So why does the Lord Jesus do that? Why does he dare to put it in this way? Again, two reasons can be cited. The first reason is that Christ, our Savior, knows us. He knows us intimately. And he knows that so much of our daily lives are consumed and preoccupied with, with matters that relate to bread, with the physical, the material, the sides and dimension of this life. Our daily work, our businesses, our jobs, our salaries, meals, mortgage installments, car payments, visa bills, RSP accounts especially the past couple of weeks, right? Utility bills. All of those things constitute a huge portion of our daily lives. And you can be sure that our Lord sees our struggles, especially our financial struggles and concerns. And so he tackles them head on here in the Lord's Prayer. And he urges us to wrap them in prayer. The second reason for beginning this second part with bread has to do with our God. With who he is and what he does. You know, the catechism captures this in the expression, Thou art the only fountain of all good. Where does good come from? Who is the source of good, of all provision, of all the needs and wants of daily life? It's God. God alone. And isn't that a consistent theme throughout the Scriptures? The Bible opens and immediately we are confronted with our God as the great Creator God. Everything that exists and lives finds its origin in Him. The universe, the stars, the earth, land, sea, sky, plants, animals, and man. As God creates it all. And God supplies. Every seed-bearing plant and every fruit-bearing tree, it says God, or God says they will be yours as food. And about every green plant, he says, I give every green plant for food. God is the giver and the supplier of man. Already in the very beginning, the stage is set. And later on, we meet Abraham. He's a man whom God sets apart and whom God tells to move to a new land 
And he's a man with whom God makes a covenant, and he's also a man whom God makes rich. It says in Genesis 14, 23, and there you hear God himself speaking, I made Abram rich. Yes, God made him rich and richer. My God even worked in the hearts of foreign kings and potentates and used them as instruments in his hand to make Abraham richer still. And what about Israel in the desert? We've read about it in Exodus 16. The Israelites are led out of Egypt and soon they begin to complain. They complain, especially, you'll notice, about their diet. And they even start to glamorize and exaggerate and to fantasize about what they ate in Egypt. You'd think that every night they dined in a five-star restaurant. And what does the Lord say and do? He says He'll give them bread in the morning and meat. In the evening, he promises to feed this vast multitude of people with food from heaven. And he's true to his word. The next morning, the ground is covered with, what is it? Which in Hebrew is manna. And in the evening, the ground is covered with quail. Miraculously, God supplies their needs. He's ever the giver and the supplier of his Old Testament people. Yes, and that is something, beloved, that doesn't change as we come into the New Testament either. We've read together as well from Matthew chapter 14. It's the well-known story of the feeding of the 5,000 plus. And it's the story in which our Lord Jesus Christ takes five loaves and two fish and uses those meager means to feed more than 5,000 people. In his hands, the bread and the fish just keep on multiplying and multiplying. Oh, and notice too that when, when all is over, it says the people were satisfied Because when God supplies, He never leaves any unsatisfied people. And there were baskets full of food left over. What that shows you is that Christ not only supplies, He supplies abundantly. And by the way, did you notice too that 12, it says 12 baskets full of food were left over? You ever asked yourself, why 12? Why not 2 or 5 or 9 or 8 or 10? Why 12? Pure accident? Coincidence? Not usually. Think about what does the number 12 represent in Scripture? It usually represents the church, right? It represents the people of God. Twelve sons of Jacob, twelve tribes, twelve apostles, twelve gates, twelve stones. It's the multiplication of three, the number of God, times four, the number of the earth. 
And that's why 12 stands for God's work in the world. It stands for His church gathering work. In short, those 12 baskets full of food that are left over teach us that Christ always supplies the needs of His people, of His church. His people will never be in true want. So what does all of that mean, beloved, for our prayer life? It means that when it comes to our physical needs and necessities, you and I need not not worry. And neither do we have to wonder about where our livelihood is going to come from. God says all we need to do is pray. Pray and ask Him. Just ask Him to give us bread. But then, beloved, if the Lord is teaching us in the first petition to recognize God as the only true source of bread, He's also teaching something else. He's teaching us something about blessing. Notice as well that the Catechism picks up on this too when it says that our care and labor and also thy gifts cannot do us any good without thy blessing. What does that mean? Well, perhaps you've heard the stories or maybe you've even seen it with your own eyes. There are people who take good care of everything that they receive and possess. They work hard all the time. They take what life gives them, like good health and inheritance, fine opportunities, good financial advice, freedom, economic stability, and they work with these things. They make the most of them. And yet... In spite of all that they have, they remain essentially unhappy people. As they grow older and richer, they become more and more sour. They see no joy in anything. They're rich, but they're also miserable as well often as terribly, terribly insecure. Or something else happens. They amass all sorts of assets, houses, cars, properties. They make plans to travel wherever they want. They stay in all of the best hotels and eat at all the finest restaurants. They have everything mapped out. But then, before they can take off and really live, They get sick and are grounded. Or else they have an accident or a heart attack. And they die. So what is this? You can say this is having it all, but lacking in blessing. 
This is the grim reminder that you may have all the toys in the world and all that money can buy, but that you need one more thing in order to enjoy it all. You need blessing. Without blessing, there is no pleasure in anything. There is no joy in life, no satisfaction, no peace, no happiness, and certainly no contentment. Think, for example, of the rich man in Jesus' parable, the would-be bigger barn builder who figured he had it made. And he no sooner figured he had it made than he dropped dead. Or think of Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge in Charles Dickens' story, A Christmas Carol. What we need is blessing. And where does blessing come from? There's only one source. It only comes from God. You and I cannot manufacture blessing. He is its only source and origin and dispenser. God has an absolute monopoly on blessing. And to receive it, we and all people need to turn to Him and call on Him. And yet even that's not quite the end of the story. For calling on Him alone will not do it. The Catechism reminds us that in this prayer, there has to be an additional ingredient And what is the additional ingredient? Well, beloved, it's called trust. Answer 125 of the Catechism says, Grant, therefore, that we may withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it only in thee. In other words, you can say that blessing rests on a life and on prayers that are full of trust. And isn't that what the fourth petition teaches us over and over? The key words in this petition are not simply the words bread and give. They're also the words this day and daily. And why does the Lord Jesus add those words? Why doesn't he just shorten his prayer and simply tell us to pray, give us bread? Because he wants to teach us that all of the material things of life are gifts. Gifts from God. They're not automatic. They don't just come to us as a result of luck or chance or accident. They're gifts. Gifts from above. And not only are they gifts, but they are daily gifts that need to be asked for every day. The moment you stop asking for them, 
you will begin to take them for granted. And they may stop coming. Or they may keep on coming, but then come in the form of empty things or even curses. You know, beloved, when money and goods are separated from God, they become a false god called mammon. And mammon always bites and devours his clients. But that's not what our Savior wants to see among us. He wants his followers to exhibit daily trust and daily dependence. He wants us to draw near to him every day and to rely humbly upon his goodness and receive his blessing. That's what God wanted from the Israelites in the desert. That's what Jesus wanted from those who followed him. And that's what God wants from us every day. He wants us to recognize Him as the gracious giver and to rely upon Him for blessing day in and day out. Daily trust. And so, beloved, be careful. Be careful that you do not drive a wedge between your work and your God, your money and your God, your assets and your God. That's what many people are doing today. They see themselves as the authors of their own fortunes. They see their wealth as a product purely of their own shrewdness, cleverness, ability, and ingenuity. They're like King Nebuchadnezzar. You remember King Nebuchadnezzar? He gets up on the roof of his palace one day, and he looks out over Babylon, the great city of Babylon, and what does he say? Isn't this the great Babylon that I have built. Well, what happened to him? What happens to all those who think that bread is something that they make and they invent? What happens to those, even in the church of Jesus Christ, who mouth pious platitudes, but who divorce God from their pocketbooks? What happens to those who do not trust God, who do not know the meaning of giving, who ignore stewardship and charity? Well, like Nebuchadnezzar, their fall will be great. And in the end, they will eat the bread of bitterness. And that's why the Lord Jesus comes to us. He comes to us in this fourth petition. And he urges us, especially with the material, the physical side of our life, put your trust in God. That's what the saints of old did. Noah, build an ark 
No rain in sight. But he built in trust. Abraham, move to a country you've never seen. And he moved in trust. David, you will be king. You are the Lord's anointed. And every day Saul is snipping at his heels. And he went on in trust. Trust, beloved. It's one of those fundamental, basic qualities of the Christian life. You and I cannot live without it. We can't live without it in our daily lives. And certainly not in our faith life. And look at Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you study the life of our Savior, you see that it's an entire study in dependence. Every day, even though He is the Son of God, He prays to the Father to supply His needs. And you and I, we should do the same. Follow in the footsteps of the Savior. Do our work well. Handle the things of this world lightly. Keep our eyes fixed on the things that are above where Christ is. And all the while, trust. Trust God. And beloved, whenever you stumble, and I guarantee you, you will stumble, go to the same Savior. For not only does He show us the way, but He also pays for all of our sins along the way. Also for our sins of not trusting, of pride, of arrogance, of independence, of greed. You know, in the world of fiction, Ebenezer Scrooge was converted by a ghost. In the world of reality, Jesus Christ covers the economic sins of His people. And by the power of His Spirit, He transforms us into a people who are known for their trust in the Lord and for the blessings that they receive from the Lord. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you. We thank you for reminding us this afternoon that we are to see our entire life as under the sway of your sovereignty and power. Father, we are so often guilty of divorcing the material side of our life from you and from your service. And we pray, Father, that you would make us realize this and repent from this and acknowledge the fact that in all the things that we need in this life, We need you not only as the fount of all good and all blessing, 
But we also need you as the God in whom we put our trust. Lord, help us to trust in you always. In good days and bad, in riches and poverty, for as long as we all shall live. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.